little bit. Do Willie. Yeah, bourbon Let's go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Walks fairly down the street with the big blue way down low. Oh, my God, I used to love this song back in the day. I, I guess I was in, not even high school, but I remember hearing this song. Like, this is a fucking rock band. Clubbing like this. This is what the club sound like. You could beat that bass line. That bass line is You know, black people love a bass line. It's like the drum. It's a call. It's a call to ancestry. Exactly. Africa. That's right. Where you at? Oh my God. Yes. I hear my ancestry calling. What's that? What? Go ahead, Freddie. And then you were like, "Wait, this is a white people." Thank you. Actually, Freddie. Freddie had a lot of smile with him. You can feel his soul. Talk about having soul in the music. You notice that? Change the game. And that makes sense. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Ow! Another one bites the dust. Very Michael. Hey, hey. Another right? one bites the dust. Hey. Hey. Remember in the movie they were talking about, oh, you can do this. Michael was, doing this thing. Well, because they were like, Michael is so Michael without the Jets. Right. All right, and ready in three, two, one, two, one, two. Welcome, 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 welcome back, film fans. This is Beer Bourbon in a Movie. I'm Tawana. And I'm Vaughn. And we're two filmmaking cinephiles dedicated to the art of film, the taste of a good beverage, and everything in between. We're glad you're back, people. So grab a seat, film fans, beer drinkers, and bourbon lovers alike. This is episode 35. 35. Today, folks, we're going to be talking about Bohemian Rhapsody and Overlord. So, Tawana, what are we going to support today? So, based on the films, we're sapped right in Europe. Okay. Right? So, we got England, we got Germany, we got 
There was something else. America. Anyway, I focused on in, in Germany, World War Two, and 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 uh, Queen, right? Oh, France, right, 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 right. But we're we're not gonna do French beers because they kind of suck. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the French people, Curtin um, to the Frenchmen's out there. I mean, you have great wine. Yes. Your beer friend. and perfumes and perfumes and bread. Yeah. <laughs> and cheese, but yes. your beer front. But if you film fans out there want to school me, please, by all means, I I, I don't take offense. Please let me know. But for now, I thought I had two countries to deal with, right? Either Germany or England. And our previous episode with Alex's big birthday blast was German all day. So we're going to go back into Mother England, right? Okay. The Queen... Um, so I started off with something brewed in, uh, in England, right? Sam Smith's Nut Brown Ale. And seeing as how it's fall, is a very fall beer. Yeah, feels uh, like that. Yeah, very, very heavy. Beautiful color, too. Beautiful color, beautiful taste. I'm actually having some kettle roasted candy pecans. Nice. They nice. add to the roast. The nice. of it all. Nice one. Good I, pairing. I, I, I like the balance. Yeah, good pairing. I wanted to pair a little, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start off with like a little history, right? It's it, it's Sam Smith's is a small traditional British brewery, and they brew their beer with uh with well water, right? The best barley malt, roasted barley, which gives it its color and its toasted taste. Uh, yeast, aromatic hops. So this nut brown ale is is relatively dry, um, with a rich amber brown color and and a nutty flavor, derived from its small amounts of uh, dark malt. So these brown ales are are sort of a specialty in Northern England, and fermented in stone Yorkshire squares. Wow. I mean, I I enjoy it. This is my first time having it, actually. I enjoy it. It's got like this sort of like caramel, toffee, uh, maltiness with like roasted almond, walnut tea, which is why I had the pecans, um, nutty notes. Even though there are no nuts in his, it's it's the roasted malts that give it this taste. Uh, the bre- It doesn't overdo it uh, with sweetness at all. And it's not syrupy like, like some of the American variants have. This had. is a very erudite way to say you like nuts in your mouth. Yeah, basically. Actual nuts, not scrotums. Salty nuts. Wow. <laughs> Sweet, salty. Sweet, salty. Liquidy mm-hmm. nuts. But unlike unlike actual scrotums, uh, yes, this is yes. well balanced. Warming ale. <laughs> nice. And air goes my choice. How about you, Vaughn? <laughs> well, I, I'm going on the same kind of Can you give me flavor some cider? palette. Cider. I, I, Excuse me, Alex. <laughs> he just totally interrupted. I'm in the middle of my dissertation you were, about this j- you were just yeah. yeah, I was trying to cut you off at the knees there. God. He's like, and, um. And Alex is here, and we're mixing more drinks for Alex. Thank you, Alex. Um, today, I'm, I brought back uh, Bullet. Okay. For, uh, I love Bullet. In, in honor of uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen. Um and it also please tell me how does bullet tie back because because it brings it matches with Tawana's nutty notes in her beer bullet has that oaky flavor it's almost a nutty note Mm -hmm. the color is similar it is a uh, it feels very winter like it's It's full bodied it's warming and it does all that and and today I'm mixing it with a sparkling apple cider Martinelli's 
We ain't got to give them a brand shout out. I mean, you can do whatever. Why not? We love you, Martinelli. That's just what what you get at the store. (laughs) Pick another one if you like. You can get it anywhere. Martinelli's is what we're using today. But I'm mixing it with Bullet. It's it's great. Yeah, it is Martinelli's. Yeah. It's done, by it's, the way. Fawn finished the whole fucking bottle. Excuse me. <laughs> you actually finished it off. But thank you. Really? I had half a finger. That's what was left for me. Half a finger. I love it. <laughs> Basically, Vaughn wasn't that prepared, so he brought a half-finished bottle of bourbon off his fucking shelf and grabbed the shittiest cider he could from the local bodega. <laughs> I just want to level for you motherfuckers, all right? Because I don't want to... I don't want people to think we over-intellectualizing this bitch. <laughs> we had a little I bit have, of intellect, have, intellect going. I have, so many, I have so many words, but I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them for now. He's going to save them for an argument he can win. We're gonna so, jump, well done, Vaughn. We're going to jump yeah, right it's, into it's the just keep that, keep that, just keep that know, weapon holstered, baby. Just know I'm drinking my favorite bourbon. Yeah. And if anybody out there wants to send me some bourbon, you can certainly send me some bullet yes. for the holidays. By all means, send me some beer. I will review anything. An IPA, a shitty beer, a toilet-made right. beer. I'd Any, be high. Anything I'd Alex brings to the table because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> his drinking expertise is limited um <laughs> and in the next for the next episode i'm gonna have this special cider based cocktail bourbon that was we had over the holidays and it's absolutely delicious so yeah, you'll, you'll hear more about that it's coming that um good. and i want to thank thomas brandon my f- favorite mixologist for making it for us nice. but um you'll hear about that next episode all right so let's jump into bohemian rhapsody okay and, so we're gonna start off with bohemian rhapsody yes uh starring What's his name? Rami Malek. Yes. Of, uh, what's the show? You, you like the Mr. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, yeah. yeah. Of Mr. Robot fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the creepy-ass googly eyes. I can't fucking deal. Anyway. Originally from the Pacific. He was in the Pacific. Oh, uh, yeah, the yeah. The Band of Brothers follow on. This is true. All right, so Bohemian Rhapsody tells of the chronicle of the year's Leading up to Queen's legendary appearance at the Live Aid concert. It was legendary, too. It, it was. They did a full 20 minutes. Yeah. We were talking about that the earlier. Full, the full set. The full great set. Episode. Great scene. It was just It was perfect. a great scene. Mm-hmm. Even the aerial shots that that went over the crowd mm-hmm. and then dipped down lower beneath. I was like almost on like one of those 3D roller coaster rides that like shows you the imagery of the tracks. Well, what it looked so, like... It, it looked like they matched actual footage from it, Live Aid to, like they to, the, to the, the, the new stuff. Yeah, they and it did was really well done. They definitely did some good jobs on yeah. that. And I really appreciated it. I think one thing I, I liked about this movie, I think it gave us a, a good... I just realized something. What you realized? Littlefinger. Yes, Littlefinger was <laughs> yeah. in there. Littlefinger the was John Reed. He was the agent. Oh my god. He was okay. kind of a good guy there. Right? He was a good, in this movie he was the good guy. Yeah. And he doesn't normally play the good guy. No, he doesn't. I just realized but that. But he was. And um there were just there were some great performances throughout this film between Mike Myers, who was very understated as the uh record company executive. REI. He he was uh what was his character's name, Tuana? Who? Mike Myers. Mike Myers, he was an uh, AMI guy. Yeah, he, he was Ray Foster. Yeah, he played the record executive. EMI? It was EMI, right? EMI. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, 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 you know, he'd been around. That, that, 
that, that gave that, up he, on them. Yeah, he he literally passed on them because he didn't see yeah. their vision. And you know, he was he had created so many great artists in the music world for many years prior to them. And it, it, but his performance was just so so low key. And I like how he just pops in a movie lately and just kind of does these roles and just kind of walks off. It's like, I know his shoot must have took, what, two days? And then he was done? It right. had to. But it was just great how he just kind of slid in there and did his part. But I, what I really enjoyed about this film was the chemistry between the bandmates. You know, right. you had all of the... The, the the camaraderie and the family connection that was built between them because they were literally the they were as Freddie said in, in one of the lines in the film they were like the outcasts right. and it was all these outcasts that came together and, and formed this band and I thought it was real cool you know yeah one second one second what happened Alice got slight technical fix we oh. gotta tweak some sound here there you go oh, perfect yeah. what about your one too you perfect turn yours a little bit yeah, mine is a little turned. Perfect. There we go. Getting that sound right. There we guys. go. Sorry about that, guys. Quality like, sound I, is why key. Why can't I hear you guys that as well? Quality oh, yeah, sound is key. Oh, that sounds so much better. So now we're much louder. Yeah, we're much louder. Do boom, boom, boom. Da dum 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 da dum. All right, so let's go back. Yeah. All right, so now, like I said, I, I just like how they connected the the bandmates and and how it really felt like they were like a family. Yeah, you know? I think that was a general consensus. I think they were actually a family. Um considering how they were so together on almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they didn't mind anything about him. They were completely acceptant of his flamboyancy, his 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 lateness. I mean, it annoyed his quirky them. Personality. His quirky personality. Like it didn't ever seem like they had a problem with anything yeah. about him yeah. other than him as a person. Right. It wasn't anything to do with any sort of And even when they weren't comfortable, like at the, the party scene, I'll, I'll never forget that scene. But they weren't comfortable because that wasn't for them. Not right, but they, the but they allowed him to do it. Right. And then they just moved on about, oh, we're here, like, we're celebrating with you. Okay, right. well, now we're going to go. Right. We let you have like, your super freak moment. Right, we got our wives here. Right. Shout out, to, shout out to Rick James. Right. We, Great super freak sequence. We ain't about to pop off with our wives here. Right. All right, we got to go. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was, it was cool in that way and, and I just you know Freddie Mercury is is truly a rock star's rock star mm-hmm. you know, he he lived it he breathed it he dreamed it and for a young kid to be that visionary and and to see his own potential because that was the thing about Freddie Mercury in this in this interpretation right. he he always saw his potential he knew his his own power even when other people were trying to keep him down yeah. including his own f- father yeah. he he saw his potential yeah. and and that was the beauty of this film and i think malik performed that in a beautiful way yeah i mean i mean i think in regards of his father i think it's just a different set of cultural mm-hmm. Values. His father grew up working hard. It's generational values. It's generational, mm-hmm. right? So, right, right, generation, not cultural. Um, so he grew up working hard. They fled from his, their country or were forced out. Right. And then... He, they're, they're, they're a particular sect of Persians. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because they, they're they from Zanzibar. And well, yeah, it's interesting because Zanzibar is in Tanzania. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're some kind of strain of mm-hmm. Persian. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like they ended up in India at one point, right. or right. they were Persians. They were either Persians in India and got chased out of India, 
ended up in Tanzania, and then Tanzania. No, they started off in Tanzania, and then they got chased out of Tanzania oh, okay. and went to India. Because they even make a point. The mom says they made he was born point. in, in, in Tanzania. Uh, Tanzania. Right, right, right. No, Zanzibar. Zanzibar, I'm you're sorry, right. Zanzibar. Zanzibar, you, you were right. the introduced to Tanzania. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, Zanzibar. yeah, he was, said he was born in Tanzania. Oh, Zanzibar. In Zanzibar, and that he had trained as a boxer, and he was quite a boxer. Mm-hmm. And they sent him to some sort of boarding school. Yeah, because Tanzania school. was a British colony. Okay. And his father worked for the British consulate. Okay. Yeah. Or for the British government. So that's how he was able to send him to school in Britain. Right. And right. he got an English education. He got that posh accent. Right. right. And that's why you see all the all the British influence and the the admiration for the queen right. in that way. Mm. Yep. Right, I agree. Very cool. Like I said, it was, it was it was a very cool cultural dynamic at play at this film because you had, you know, you had his culture, you had that British culture thing going on, you know, how rock moved around the world because they did show, I like how they did that montage of them traveling around the world on tour. Yeah, and they would yeah, have cool. this like graphic Yeah, that was really cool. Of his stance on stage yeah they, they did some really cool stuff there they did. that moved us through time because imagine if we had they to did. see that in a slower right pace i mean did you know that brian singer was the director what i had no idea brian singer he's renowned for throwing pretty audacious yeah he's renowned didn't he for, like, i thought brian shit no up. i thought brian singer like went to prison no, 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 no. Brian he did all the X Men films. No, but Brian, but he, he did, was he caught was up accused, in some scandal. He was accused but there of was, some, some. There was some nothing scandal. that he was they taking some young gentlemen back there was, his But yeah. there was nothing that he shit. could be sent to prison for. Right, right. but he was accused. But but yeah. no, he was not accused. So, he was not in prison for no, anything. No, he wasn't in prison because he's white. But um, right. and there were young male, boys and a male. So, but he he did face several accusations from mm. young men that mm-hmm. said that he had engaged in some things with them inappropriately. Right. What an appropriate film to direct. Right. <clears throat> I'm sure he was at home. You know. <laughs> in his surroundings. And you know, there was just there were just some there was some, some interesting moments and some great performances. I think that I, I like the overall musical performances too. I like how right. they shot those and because you felt like you were part of the audience, you know, right. they, they gave you all of that, and they engaged you in that way that you 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 wanted to hear the music, because people right. were really enjoying the music when I, in the in the screening that I saw. Somebody was clapping, and his girlfriend was like, "Please stop." Yeah, people were really enjoying <laughs> the music, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool, so cool," because you know I feel like Queen and and all those rock stars from that time, right. they definitely were about the audience and really getting the audience engaged. In well, the they music. were all about audience participation, yeah. and since they were already singing back to them, they wanted to include them, which is when they had that that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, not another one by We are the champions. No, no, no. but it we was another rolling. one. Dum, dum, shh. Yeah, we dum, will rock dum, you. Oh, we will we rock, will you. rock yeah, you. Yeah, it was yeah. we will rock you. You're right. That yeah. was that was really cool for me because I had never the the fact that that was a really conscious decision on the part of the band yeah. right. to create music that the audience could participate in. Right. Like right. that's 
that had to be a new concept. That had to be a new concept. Had yeah. to be a new concept. Well, th- that was the that was the beauty of Queen because it was stadium. They, it, was, it was stadium rock. Yeah, it was well, stadium I mean, rock for real. Queen but seemed to do a lot of. They uh, were always original. about pushing the envelope because what and they trying put, to do something new. They had change on some of their snare drums, yeah. and they had all these like experimental things they were like banging yeah. into, and like really trying to like change the sound. Push right. the music yeah. because Push they came the along in the era of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles yeah. and all that. So they were trying to separate themselves from. From those other bands and I think they did a they did a great job of showing that yeah and I think that's why Queen is able to exist today but what was great about them is that Freddie led it but yeah. they all jumped on board there right. was no resistance and it led to them having their own uh, individual ideas because this wasn't Freddie's idea we will rock you right that was the the, the guitarist idea and right. then or even even another one bites the dust a bites the dust was the bass player's yeah. idea so yeah. mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't. Re- I didn't realize how equal apart each of the band members. Nice, play. right? Because usually cool. it's not the case. No. And even though they peppered in, you know, Hollywood peppered in that thing about, oh, you're the lead singer, and there's got to be somebody right. trying to pull you away from the group, right. like referencing Michael Jackson versus the Jacksons, right, 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 the Jackson Five, and all that. There's always that 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 line, that thread that runs through things. Right. But I feel like even when he took that deal and was going to do his own solo. He was always a part of Queen, and he always right. wanted to have that connection with the band. And yes, he had people that were whispering in his ear and right. were the negative force that were trying to pull him away from Absolutely. them. But, you know, at the end of the day, and this is why the, those live aid performances were so powerful, right. because what he what they created in Queen was a true connection of creators. Right. You know, they were makers and they were trying to make this thing happen. And they came from different backgrounds completely. Educational backgrounds, Absolutely. cultural backgrounds, they were just totally different. But in them forming that band, it made something special happen. Right. Um, speaking of the way it looked, Newton Thomas Siegel, who did a lot of the X-Men films with mm-hmm. Brian Singer, uh, Singer. Um, was the DP on this. Oh, really? Okay. But thinking, searching back into his catalog, I found some nice gems. Okay. Which is why the film looks so good. Uh, he was the DP on Usual Suspects, Foxfire, oh, nice. which was like early, like Angelina Jolie, Fallen, At Pupil, Three Kings. Fall, fallen, really? Yeah, like yeah, surprisingly, so like... And then, like, he goes on to do some X-Men stuff, but then he also, and Batman, I mean, sorry, Superman Returns. Right. But he's also done things like Valkyrie, Drive, which is one of my absolute favorite films. So that's why that color was there. There was that richness in the color color, and the textures. But the glare, that Mm -hmm. lens flare thing that he does, like, there was a lot. I mean, he did, he, even as recently as Marshall, and he's done some episodes of Gift of the Gifted. Okay, on, on uh, Fox. On Fox. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, he's, he's a pretty good uh, cinematographer, and I think we've all appreciated his work. So, I just, I, I just like, it, I guess the opening is a combination of the director and the cinematographer, of course, right? right? Um, because one creates and, and, and one designs. And, you know, the beauty of that is that that speaks to the fact that, Filmmakers have a particular crew that they love to work with. Well, yeah, and we've and discussed that, that before. You see that over right. and over again. With like Spike. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, what's the other guy? Uh, 
Scorsese. Oh, for sure. They all keep like the same guys. Well, because mm-hmm. if you think about it in terms of how we've worked, we've always worked together because we, we work well. And when you work as a producer, you know how to wrangle me. Right. Or to get me things that I need. Right. You know, as a DP. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. For and sure. And it, it's sure. good that he, he has spread his wings. I, you know, and, I, and you know what was interesting to me? I, I like how they use the music in a way that you captured the moment. You only, you not only captured the moment, because they showed you a lot of the creation right. of the music and then you heard the music. Right. But they didn't bother with trying to make Malik sing. They, no. It obviously was Freddie Mercury's voice in, in the band. And so it was It was good that they didn't even try to fake that because I think we needed to hear it. Because yeah. I know this movie is introducing a lot of people to Queen and to, to Freddie Mercury. So I think that it, it's, it's or, good that we got to hear the music at, in that way. At least it's opening a lot of people right. to... To what they created. Right, to how it was created and where it originates from. Mm-hmm. Because I bet you any amount of money, a lot of people think Bohemian Rhapsody is from Bill and Ted. Oh God, you're that's pro- their you're reference. Right. That's their reference point is Bill and oh, Ted. Fuck yeah! Well, how <laughs> and sad so is that? that's my <laughs> thanks, Alex. That was Alex's reference. Thank <laughs> no, you. no, no, no. Thank so you, I, Alex. I had a Japanese exchange student uh, live with us when I was like ten. Mm-hmm. This young guy. What, what, what the fuck is I'm, that? Look? I'm just trying to understand this, this exchange. He's telling a story. Tell your yeah, story. It's called Alex. telling a fucking story. I want to hear your story, please. <laughs> please share. I grew up with a lot of exchange students growing up. Okay. Right? That makes sense. Um, anywho, like Pretty in Pink. Oh my the God. Fuck? Pretty in Pink has a Japanese exchange student, but please continue. There you go. <laughs> Shout well, out to This young guy, uh, his nickname was Ninja. Okay. All right. That's not made up. Of course. His okay. nickname was Ninja. You're good. You're good. Mm. <laughs> I can't remember his real name. This is I'm sure you don't. Wow. I don't tell the story. <laughs> tell your story, <laughs> Ali. You. Tell your story. But he, so I'm 10 years old, which means this is 96. Okay. Right? Good Lord. I graduated high school <laughs> three years before that. <laughs> I know. We had a long conversation before this podcast about Von coming of age in the 80s. Right. Yes, I did. And like, I'm very be, fucking happy about it. We could do a whole podcast just about Von. Just about Von. You certainly can. You can. But yeah, he, this kid loved Queen, and uh, he had a little boombox in his room yeah. um, that was like my mom's from the 80s. Right. And uh, he just asked if we had like a tape player. Mm. And so she grabbed this for him. And it was actually a pretty decent one. It was fucking right. huge. Why my mom had this boombox? Hey, I don't know. your mom was getting in down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he had all these Queen cassettes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he would just play these Queen cassettes. And I remember, the, I remember hearing Queen for the first time. And like he played uh, "We Will Rock You." Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And I like as a ten year old, I was like, "This is it." Right. This is music. Like this is I didn't give a shit about music right, until that right, point. Right. And of then course. I heard this fucking we listened to this Queen cassette like just straight from right. start to finish. And I was there just like fucking I didn't even know if I was dancing. I was just moving around and enjoying <laughs> the fuck out of myself. Oh, that's great. And that was my introduction to Queen. But then obviously Wayne's World comes out, was that late nineties, early two thousands? Yeah. That's late nineties, right? No, it's nineties. It's nineties. Well, I didn't see it until the like maybe two thousand. Okay. And I remember seeing that, and then I only had a reference for Bohemian Rhapsody 
because of Bill and Ted. Of, because of well, because of Ninja. Ninja, yeah. And then of course, yes, Bill and Ted. Bill but yeah, the, the scene in the car where they all like right. do their, they all say their Galileas. Right. But it didn't. Yeah, I didn't know any of the. Again, like I, yeah, it would have been good if we could sort of cut some of the conversation we had with Vaughn of like what was happening in the eighties, right, right, right. the importance of this music and what right. it meant and the things that were changing. Right. Because the, yeah, like what this music did for people was, right. was massive. Yeah. Was massive. And you know, it just those, but I just enjoyed it for its musicality. Exactly. Right, right. And, but, but I think that it speaks to the fact that those big rock anthems, right. they live today. You still hear the same hold up. music. Well, they said at the end of the credits that, uh, it was re-released 16 years later and it shot to number one, Bohemian Rhapsody. I believe that. It, After Live Aid, wasn't it? After Live yeah, Aid. Yeah, because... It, it was just... re-released. Because all those people who were watching it had no idea that that mm. existed. Or if they did, they weren't a part of it when it was... Right, when it happened when in, it, in it real happened time. When it happened in real time. But that was the beauty of it because it was like, oh shit. And when you saw... Because I remember watching Live Aid and at the time, I was all about the the current stars that were there because like this was there was a Madonna lot of it was a lot it was all about Madonna and you know the Cindy big, Lauper was she there? yeah all the Cindy the people of the time yeah, yeah well because yeah. it was 80s. it was recorded in like three different countries they, they, right they were, were they seen were they seen at that time as like a late seventies band yes they were they were old they were school bands because they were like a hair band almost. yeah they were old they were school bands band. you know because it was it was about yeah. pop music during the time of yeah. of the eighties right. it was about the pop music stars during but that time. everybody was performing but because everybody was being a part of this around the world because right. it was about being around the world and, and participating in the in, world participating in, in the end of famine live aid so, live aid sorry there was so many aids there was so many aids there was farm aid there was live aid and all these different mm-hmm. charity functions happening during the same time but during live aid Geldof Bob Geldof brought all these bands together so you had the current popular bands mm. and you had the all these old school bands so the fact that they were all sharing the same stage that was big but yeah. you know i remember because you know i was young and, and just trying to i just wanted to see you know madonna and whoever else he was going to bring out there that was wh- who were my cultural references you know because it wasn't queen because they were older yeah except for another one bites the dust but they were older in that way but to see them on the stage and what they brought to it, because right. that was new to me, because that was my introduction to all of the classic Queen songs. Mm, the 70s Queen. Right. You know, I didn't know anything about that because, you know, I'm black, one, and right. we listened to R&B. So it was it was just just to hear that, that scope and that scale of the performance. Like when he just lets his voice go. Yeah, because he, yeah. he he brought it. He's a, he's a singer, and that's what he that's what he brought to the table. And so to to see that kind of performance, where he just sat on the keyboard, you know, you just didn't see that from yeah. white guys. You know, they were just usually playing guitars, and we're about black people are about the bass line. Yeah, we weren't necessarily about that guitar riff. Yeah, but right. other than you know, like people like um, what's the guy, Purple Haze, right, right, right. I know you don't want Other than Purple Haze. Kendricks. Hendrix. Uh, Kendrick Lamar. Hendrix. Hendrix. Oh, oh, Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Other than Jimi Hendrix, we didn't have that lexicon of guitar yeah. players. You know, other than and Prince is doing it. Prince was doing it, but it wasn't this, the same kind of thing. Yeah. So 
to see right because it was more black right to see Freddie Mercury doing it in that way and to strip it down the way they did that performance at at, at Live Aid mm. that was just that was something special to see and of course you know I think as a black person and the fact that the whole charity function was about giving back to Africa that was important for me that's actually why I watched it yeah. you know because I felt like oh we're helping people in people. my motherland, right. not you know, it ain't about some other country somewhere that I don't know anything about. But this is about Africa. Right. That's and how. I, that's how I felt about Red when when Gap had that whole right. thing going. You know, on. you you knew right. you, there was the connection to it. Right. So that was why. And even even in they showed the bar sequence in the movie where you had blacks and whites watching the footage, right. like watching the TV screens, mm. and, yeah. and, and that was important during that time. Right, because right, right. every everybody wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, what was the? I'm interested in, I guess, because it's in the '80s, and there isn't a there isn't like a mass of media, right? Like there's the, there's burgeoning, there's burgeoning pop culture entertainment platforms. You've got MTV. Yeah, that was like hadn't come out in the mid '80s. That was like was it like late '80s, early '90s? No, it was the mid '80s. But the point was. It wasn't in every household. MTV right. was not in every household. It wasn't because you time. didn't have cable. Because if now, you did not have cable, you cable could not see it. And was cable TV. expensive? Because that cable was, was a, expensive. It was that was expensive. a trope when I was growing up. It was very expensive. It was in very like expensive. the nineties. Yeah, it was very yeah. expensive. People always be like, you don't, like on or oh, I watch American TV shows like, oh my god, you got cable? You got right. cable? It was this thing, you know. Like we had a WHT box. Like we didn't have fucking cable news. And the WHT <laughs> box had a key. And it had three channels, and we thought it was like a big fucking deal. Right. Like one was porn at some time at night. Yeah. And then the other two were like, I don't know, regular programming. But the whole point with it was that every household didn't necessarily have no, access to it. That and was... I grew up in the South, and so we were way farther along. Like, we didn't have access to... You may all... as well have been in New Zealand, bro. Pretty mm-hmm. much. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. But the whole thing was everybody didn't have access to it at, at the same time. But the thing about Live Aid was it was broadcast yeah. so on, on, globally. On, on major networks. Right. right, because everybody, wanted they wanted to be a part of the... How did that happen? Like, wh- like, why? What was it about Bob Geldof it was that he managed to galvanize? Yeah, I didn't know what that was. He was all these like, syndicate, this global I was like syndicated. Nine, like, how ten. the fuck did that happen? Nine or ten. He was an old. Happened. He was an old music star, and he wanted to be. He saw the need and the famine that was happening in Africa during so that time. So he was Bono yeah, before. Bono. Big, yes, he was literally Bono before Bono. <laughs> Africa is a big fucking place, though. Like, what, yes, which it, famine? He saw. Well, Ethiopia it, had a big. Yeah, famine. it was really about. Like, Eastern, like yeah. East Africa, East Africa, definitely. definitely. Mm, but the thing yeah. is, and and granted, it wasn't you, like the Nigerias and no, 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 no. It was East Africa. It was like uh, Ethiopia and one other place had a had a real big Somalia issue. And Somalia, Somalia yeah. had but a big issue But the whole point was, and and mind you, YouTube was around during this time too. But they were a new band. In the YouTube, oh YouTube, yeah, YouTube they were was brand a new. New band during yeah. YouTube. Time. Came they around were, 2004, motherfucker. No, they did no, not. No, they were around. I said YouTube. No. no U2. U2. Bono. Yeah, I was... God damn it, motherfuckers. You was... It was I Bono. Thought you, yeah, no, no I know who you're talking about. I was making a joke because it sounded like you said YouTube. I know. I did sound like you said YouTube, but Help I realized me. it was YouTube. Help continue. Me. Continue. <laughs> they were a new band. Every, so basically... Uh, Alex is on one, though. Tawana, can I have some I think beer? he's had a little I, too I, much to drink, folks. No, there's no beer, baby. There's... All We're the done. beer is so what gone. What fucking happens when you buy two bottles? Man? All the beer is gone, and you drink all up, the liquor. I, I guess I should have got more, because this is really good beer. 
Would you like some more bullets? Have yeah. some bullet. God. Now that we're babysitting Alex. <laughs> You're always babysitting me. Anyway, so I'll, I'll help you. But the point was, <laughs> Geldof was... Mm-hmm. The Bono of his time, mm-hmm. right. and he wanted to he wanted to make change, and he wanted the music artists to do it because he knew they had a lot of influence. Right? Because we this, this was before Instagram influencers and all of that, yeah, and way that before. music music stars we and actors and all of that, that had potential and and audience access to get people to donate. Yeah. And that's what he wanted to use his vehicle for. Right. And thank God for him. But how how do you think people. he managed to strike the deals? To get I don't it know, done? but he had 13 different satellites. And according to them, the Olympics only had three. Right. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a so big he deal. somehow worked his magic. He must have had a lot of connects. Yeah, he did. He, he partnered it, up with music industry, MTV, MTV. all the broadcast Which networks. Huge they thing. literally decided we were going to do this, and I it guess, was going to be a global thing. It I wasn't just get, the U.S. And that was before enough, Viacom. If oh, you get absolutely. big enough acts. Well, Viacom was there, but it was smaller. I guess if you get big enough smaller. acts, right. and you get enough of the bigger broadcasters, you just need a few. To, I, I imagine it was a fucking process, but, right? Yeah, because if you think about it, simultaneously, you were doing this live yeah. on, what, three Two or three different continents. Oh, absolutely! It was America. Yeah, it was like three. It was Europe. Yeah, it was Africa. And Africa. Africa. Yeah, there were definitely three. But it was it was huge. It was, it was, and this was the first time something global was happening like this. And because it was music, it opened it up to so many other people. Right. So they had right. sold out stadiums, major stadiums in major cities, three three or four different major cities, right? Just playing it. Two in America. There was one in Philly. And then um, MetLife Stadium was sold out right. in the, in uh, Jersey, right? So then, yeah. and then, what, was it Wembley? Is that what they call it? Yeah, in, Wembley uh, in, in London. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that was sold out. And then it was something else that was sold out. So they they were they had live live audience members. So that and so all you had to, to do it. was get your bands to be at, at whatever venue. Whatever venue. So of course, Queen played in London. And then, you know, I'm sure some of the American acts played in America. Right. So it, it was a, and it was a big deal. And you were. Oh, so they were live broadcasting. Yes. Between. Simultaneously. Yes. What? They yes. would. I you, thought it was all in London. No, no, no. 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 It, it was, was playing. All around the world. That's why they had 13 different satellites. Holy shit. Because they were playing. That's how big Three this different was. continents. Oh my God! So acts were playing all over the world, all they, over the just, world they, at the same time. Because wasn't it, it was like seven a.m. in America or something? Yes, that's why he said seven seven a.m. in America. It's twelve something in London, in London, wherever else you were. But that was the point. And if you were not a part of that, yeah, that was the other big deal. Right. If you were not right. a part of that, if what the fuck w- is wrong with right. you? If you woke yeah. up, that's why he said, if we wake up tomorrow. And we weren't a part of this. How will we feel? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How will we feel about this? Like, like at what point in human history right. has this much humanity they, been connected? And apparently, it's pre-internet, motherfucker. Right. And I don't know if this is historically correct, but it seemed like when Queen came on, I don't know if Queen opened it because I, I was a baby, but <laughs> but when Queen came on, it didn't look like the phones were really ringing. But when Queen came on. Mm. I don't know if that's creative license, but then they started to sell and they yeah. they, they well, made I, their one hundred. I really pounds. feel like that was a million. No, 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 a million pounds, right? He wanted over. They were a acting like pounds. they were making no money until right. Queen came on. Well, right. I and think then it I'm like, I really yeah, feel like, like that was a lot of Hollywood there. That was a creative you had, license. You had a lot of 
major bands. Everyone was heavyweight. Because oh, you had the Rolling know. Stones. Right. You had, you know, you had. But that's why I was like. All these other bands. That's why I'm saying, was Queen the first act no, in London? They were not. They were they not. couldn't have been. You they were not. You would not open. No, they with were Queen. waiting for him to come on. Like they were not. Like, they right. were not. Yeah, because you wouldn't. You wouldn't open with Queen. You would close or mid mid with. You wanted the mid pickup. The mid pickup with Queen, and then whoever you thought was the biggest of the time. Right. You would but, close. No, with. they were definitely not the opening act. But right. um, they but was, they killed. They killed it. In, in the, but what is what is history about right. it is the fact that their performance stood out oh, amongst. Yeah. All of the performances and, of that and time. And if you notice, they had a whole thing with uh, Miami, Jim Beach. <laughs> right. Um, which I love how he was trying to give everybody names. I was like, all right, you're so gay. <laughs> but it was, but it was, but it was, but, uh, it was but great. You'll forever be known as Miami Beach. You're forever in Miami. <laughs> so, um, and he's Trixie. Uh, right. It's like everyone had a name, but um, yeah. So Miami like slipped the the the, the oh, volume the on the volume, yeah. Because uh, obviously he had his voice issues, so they made it louder and bigger, yeah. Um, to make it seem even grander, yeah, definitely. Which is fine because yeah, and, and like I said, it speaks to that rock star star, yeah, rock star that star. rock star drama that bring it. Let's yeah. bring it loud and hard, loud and that's and what hard. they did. And and you know. That was the, that was also the the beauty of the of the piece right. because there were so many other players. It wasn't just about Freddie Mercury, and I think that right. what this film did was capture that element of it. For me, I, what I really liked is how they set it up. What I was saying before is the combination between the director and the cinematographer working hand in hand. That whole opening scene. Where we don't see Freddy, but we see like the back of Freddy, elements of Freddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later in the film, at the end, they flesh it out for yeah. us. But we sort of see elements of Freddy, and we sort of see almost like jump cuts, and him preparing to go on stage. Right. Um, that was really brilliant, and which I really liked, and I really, really, really appreciate the concert photography. Yeah. It was was amazing. A lot of it was really good with the smoke. And the various angles, the reflection mm-hmm. in the piano, the reflection in his shades, his aviators, famous oh, aviators. Yeah, for sure. um, a, a lot of that was was really interesting. And then that that sort of drop that that I mentioned earlier when they uh, go over the Live Aid uh, audience, audience. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. But um, Malik was good. I just thought at the beginning he. He's got this weird googly eye thing going. What? He can't get away from what <laughs> he, he looks like. No, he can't. <laughs> um, and so until they fully fledged him out into, fleshed him out into Freddy, which was um, like. Uh, Started in the 80s. Mid. Yeah, late 70s, like early Like mid, midway through the film, I guess. Um, when when they really put on the stash and yeah. and then the short hairdo, that's when he f- was fully Freddy. Right. Um, but before then, it was a little distracting because there were moments where he was like contemplative about writing Bohemian Rhapsody, and then what? Well, and you know what? I, I like part of that, and I right. get what you're saying right. because you had to separate yourself from the actual actor well, and and who Freddie Mercury was creepy rather than flamboyant. But I think that. Little I, bit. And right? I a little, think, his eyes. I think they were trying to 
get that performance out of Malik. I know. It's just very difficult when he has, he he's not in control of his eyes. He could be, because we've seen other actors do it. But, I mean, he is a young guy. So I had more issue with the teeth. Also, because the teeth were the, too big the, for his fucking he mouth. He had the prosthetic, but Freddie he Mercury's was, teeth were too big for his mouth. Yeah, but, but, but the yeah, whole thing that, was, because they were his it felt natural, but, but because we all know right. Malik in in his what his actual face looks right. like. But, right. his, but was, we hold on, yes. But like we were talking about this beforehand, right. was when he was like OG Mercury with the long right. hair playing the seventies kind of hair rock band. Right. When he turned into like eighties like gay icon. Right. Freddie with the stash. Right. Everything felt like act like it felt much more normal and yes. much more accurate. Yes. Yes. But but then I I always remember like I remember Freddie Mercury forever as the short hair and the mustache. And the mustache, right? Yes. right? It's like very George Michael. Right, because right, right, right. that's the part we know. That's we the part and we... then and then and then I remember I was like watching some it was like some queen performance thing on tv back in new zealand it was like some like one of his live shows got put on tv and they were playing some videos of like before he was 80s mercury right right Right. and i was like who the fuck is that right and i was like what he's like he was just he looked terrible like you could really see his his teeth and yeah. it was just it looked yeah. so fucking weird because they even show some footage after while the credits roll after the film mm. and right before I left because I didn't stay for those credits right before I left they showed like a, a shot of him with his long hair and I was like oh, yeah okay now I see yeah interestingly though the actors are normally always better looking than the people they're playing. Right, but not oh, yeah. in this Freddie Mercury's way better looking. Way than better looking. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. And, because and, Malik has these giant eyes. And, Freddie, and he's scrawny as fuck. Scrawny right. and small. But Freddie had a swag. Taller. He had some weight, man. Right. And he was taller. Freddie had a swag about him. And Freddie Freddie had more mass and yeah. he was yeah. taller. Mm-hmm. He definitely had a swag about him. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they're ne- it's never going to be perfect because no. you're somebody playing somebody who's alive. Who was alive. So Jamie Foxx was perfect as Ray. <laughs> okay, perfect is right. Sidebar. I'm just saying, but but like <laughs> I said, I think he he captured the essence right. of Freddie Mercury, and I think that it was it was cool in in, in the way that he did it. What was so sad to me right. was those periods in time with Freddie and all them fucking cats, and uh, and and wanting to be. Like wanting to stay connected with his wife, even though his he moved his uh, his life had moved his life into a had different moved place. Into Calling a different her point at night his, and and that, that point clicking his, the, cl- yeah. the the lights. It the, was just so sad to me. It was very sad. He was like, and he she was, was so done lovely. with him. She was like, all right, we're finished. Oh. Right. But even I mean, when he was living, remember when he bought the house and he brought it, he invited his his bandmate over. Mm-hmm. Oh, just stay over. And he dinner. had this full house just full of cats. Right. He was like, I have one room for this cat and one right. room for this and it cat. Was, it, it was one heartbreaking room for this to cat. Because like when they 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 do a nice little like, not even it's it's sort of a dolly shot, and they just go past the cats. Each cat had a labeled bowl. Yes. And, that was and, like eight cats. And if you remember, there was a note. There was a note that Freddie Mercury said, uh, Malik said as Freddie Mercury to each of the actors, 
you all have families. Right. He did yeah. not have that. He did. All he, he had was his cat. Well, he said that to Jim Hutton, who later wound up being his love before he died. And thank God for him. Well, because Jim put him straight. He said, if you, because he smacked his ass during one of his parties. Thank God. And he God said, if you ever him. touch me again, I'll thump you. Right. And so yeah, then, that's right. right. And so for a second, I was like, oh my God, he Is touched he straight? a straight guy ass. And then he was like, you know, well, you know, I like a man in uniform. And Jim was like, so do I. But that was that was a then, that was a beautiful. He's a real motherfucker. He's, he's like, a real motherfucker. I don't motherfucker. care if I'm gay. You don't fucking. Tell but he me was like also that. like, I don't care that you're rich. Yeah. Right. Let's share this kiss and find me when you get your shit together. Right. When you mm. like yourself is right. the line he said. Right. When you like yourself. And that there was so much, and you know what was sad and also beautiful about it was the fact that he didn't meet him until the end of his life, basically. Yes. You know, he had that, that last but at least quarter we, of his we, life. We realized he didn't die alone. Absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing about it. But you know how I think what this film captured in that, because people were moved by it. Because I remember hearing people talk about it after we were walking out of the screening was that it was like, well, I'm so glad that he had somebody then. Because throughout this film, everything about this film talked about how Freddie Mercury was looking for family, was looking for connection, was looking for friends. And that's why he, the, the band was so important to him. And he always referred to the band and his fa- as his family. That's why he lost his shit when the, uh, the, the former band manager suggested going solo. Right, exactly. Well, when, when his fucking lover boyfriend... That wasn't even his lover... He pushed that guy away. I don't think he slept with him. Yeah, I don't, he was obsessed he with him. He wanted to be. Right. His he was lover. the assistant right. of Littlefinger. He was like right. his. He was like his. He was like his personal. He was like his PA. Right. Yeah, but he was Littlefinger's assistant, and then he became Freddie's. He was Littlefinger. Right. He literally was Littlefinger. But the, but this assistant Paul, yeah. right? Paul. Became Littlefinger, right? Yeah. And um, fucked Littlefinger and everyone else who tried to get close to Freddie because he wanted to control Freddie. Yeah, and that. That whole thing, I'm I'm glad we saw that because I think that that was the cautionary tale. That was the cautionary. That was the cautionary tale. Also, it explains how Freddie got outed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he literally, and that happened. Right. That did happen with this interview on German TV. That did happen. And and it was fuck man. But I remember the whole thing. If you really loved Freddie, why would you do that? Well, because he was an opportunist. He wasn't. He wasn't in love with Freddie. He was in love with the celebrity. And Freddie even said that last. His last words to him: "Do what you got to do. Put your pictures out there. Say what you got to say. But this is over. This is over. And and you saw his face. He was like." Sad and 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 hesitant. But then the very next, th- yeah, exactly. His face was sorry. Fuck, like okay, like, he's damn, not. I, I can't. My shit. Yeah, I can't but, and then the very him. next scene is him right outing his shit. Right, but right. that's that's what well, opportunists do. Opportunist. That's what opportunists do, and I'm I'm glad that they showed that part because that's important for everybody to know today. Because I know there are, there are stars out here today right. who are running, who are dealing with people who whatever your situation is. There's somebody always willing to tell your secrets. Very true. Just to make money. Because it was about making money and, and having some kind of fame for yourself. Mm-hmm. That 15 Absolutely. minutes of fame is very powerful. Absolutely. And it, and it continues on. It doesn't end. But like I said, I think, I think we've come to, the, to our terms with this movie. Yes, I think it's time for the slide over to Overlord. So, so you would say definitely see Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah, see I want to wrap it up. Rhapsody. Wrap it up. I think if you... 
if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of Queen or Freddie Mercury, check it out. If you just are curious and don't know much about it, but aren't opposed to watching right. this film, really see it. Because I thought it, I thought they did a really good job in um, explaining this biopic right. and showing his life over various decades, and then also including it as a, 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 creating a concert film. Mm. Yeah, it definitely it definitely speaks yeah. to that, and I want you to d- do some real research into Freddie Mercury and his life. I mean, yeah, and if that it inspires you, yeah, and, and, you know, because there was there was a whole lot going on during that time, you know, between the AIDS epidemic and everything that was happening there. Absolutely, but just just the, how the world was, and you had you right. had a lot of unrest in the world because going on. There yeah. was so much happening. We didn't so mention that, but do some, yeah, do they, some they, do some work. They do talk a little bit about his sexuality, and yeah. then they explore a little bit about. Uh, the AIDS epidemic of the 80s and if you are a kid like Alex who wasn't around for a lot of that. I was born in the 80s. <laughs> you were born in the 80s but you didn't really see that did you? Yeah you didn't Hell see that. No, no you didn't see that. But I mean I was born in the 70s mm-hmm. right? Late 70s and so I saw a little bit of it like because mm. I by the time 85 rolled around I was 9 or 10 and so then that's when I got pieces of it, like Ryan White and shit like that. Right. But anyway, go see this film. Yeah, it won't it kill out, you, sure. and it's still in theaters, and it's still selling out. It, so Absolutely. So it was, fun. I, I literally saw it. It was sold out. I, I, I literally had no, I saw it, no seat. I saw it in fucking Torrington, Connecticut, Yeah. in a broke-ass AMC, mm. and the theater was three-quarters full. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was three quarters full for me this morning. And mine was sold out last night. All right. What? So, sold yeah. out. Oh sold my out. god. So move on. Let's move on All to right. Overlord. Overlord. Now you're talking my shit. Overlord. Now you're talking my shit right now. JJ Abrams. And Alex was film. able to sit through this horror movie. Because it wasn't really a horror. J J Abrams. J J Abrams, right? Yes. So World um, War Two. Check. Check. Nazis. Nazi zombies. Check. Little historical fallacy. Check. Yeah, love yeah. that. We'll, love that. We'll, we'll little, talk about the little, historical little liberal policy. Hollywood injecting their bullshit into some good old storytelling. Love right. That. Well, exactly. Love that. Love yes. that. So Overlord, <laughs> directed by Julius Avery. Creative license to make shit up, dog. Let's <laughs> go, baby. Produced by J.D. Abrams. Strap it's about up. a small group of Americans. Shut up. <laughs> Dig deep, baby. <laughs> I give a fuck about your Wikipedia, bitch. Let's talk. I'm just trying to tell people what the film was about. Oh, really? They can read Wikipedia themselves. Let's fucking open this motherfucker up. Oh, my God. It's about a small group. (laughs) We still need context in the conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Tawana. Give us context. Thank you. Too much of your farm bread. Uh, oh man, you put a little there. corn in this white boy. There you go. Oh. You got a little bit going on there. <laughs> put a little corn mash in this white. Oh wow. my god, you're doing the most. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. It's okay. Enjoy yourself. Anyway, live your live your best life. Live your best. I'm living my best life. <laughs> yeah, Twana hasn't shared go any ahead, of her beer with me. My, I only bought two. I thought to buy three, but then I was like, fuck it. Wow. Wow, it's really about you. You always buy six. I always I buy know. six, but these don't come six. Yeah, these, they come. They come three. single, so it's like five a bottle. I was like, you were like, it. I don't need to share today. I was like, I'm not even really gonna drink, but I should have three. Alex can be sober while he. Next the time, desk. I will get a third for you. Is that even a fucking? That's a rhetorical statement. No, no, it's an actual statement. Yeah. I will get a third for you because that's like two beers. So technically, I had four. 
Okay. Kind of, because right, this is like a liter. How, how many millimeters? Millimeters is that? Uh, one pint, two, seven, two point seven full ounces. <laughs> no one cares. Talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's an idiot. All right. <laughs> Like we really right. shared. It's a small that. group of American soldiers find horror behind enemy lines on the eve of D-Day. Okay, that's okay. true. Yes, this is true. So my only problem with this film, as we said, historical Open fallacies, is Boist, who is played by Jovan Adipo. Over here. Um, I'm assuming he's African. African of some sort. Um, and then White Russell, who's Hurt Russell's son. Uh, mm-hmm. What's her face? Uh, that makes a lot of sense. He's the, he's the corporal. Right. Um, he's Ford. And and so basically, uh, Boyce is in fairly mostly white regimen. And he has a black sergeant right before D-Day. Played by? Played by Bokeem Woodbine. Thank Motherf- you, Bokeem. Motherfucker you. stay working. Hold on. Motherfucker stays stay working. working. And I'm going to give him that. Because whoever the fuck your agent is, always gets you some He's been working guy. since the 90s. But this motherfucker <laughs> stays working. He is. Working since the 90s. I mean, my girlfriend, my girlfriend was like, where the fuck <laughs> they found him? This motherfucker. I'm not mad at I Bokeem. Know, I know who he is, though. I'm like, not mad at him. I know who he is. And so, you're so, the whitest of white man from New Zealand. No. No, he's and not you that know, white. And you on, know, Bokeem White. They have satellite. He's I'm not from. that white. <laughs> they have satellite where I'm from. Wow. We wouldn't be friends if but I was that you white. You know, Bokeem Woodbine from right. The Rock. Because <laughs> you are my brother. You always from make fun of me, but. <laughs> oh, my God. Shit, dude. I don't see so Alexander many. Wang hand delivering your fucking sneakers, bitch. Fuck you. Bokeem has been like a million things. What's like Bokeem's biggest film? I can't even was, see. Was he in Dead Presidents? I feel like he, uh, was he wasn't dead president. He played the preacher, but he's been in so many things. A million movies. I, I, he was in Ray too. We not. I know y'all love Ray. We're not talking about. I'm that just saying Ray he Ray. was in Ray. Y'all have made this is the second reference to Ray tonight. He was in so many. Fuck, he was in Life, The Sopranos. He was in like Caught Up. But he these. does. He does comedy as well as drama. He does. He wasn't dead president. He was in Panther. Okay. So anyway, I, okay, so I want to I want to level a question at you then, right? Is you're <laughs> yes. talking about historical accuracy? Yes. And so, no, airborne units were not integrated in World War One. Right. So that World was War my II, issue was that when II. I came in, since I know you are war genius, um, I'm, my question I'm a hobbyist. Was, let's be right, clear, a hobbyist really. Okay, so I w- my question was, I'm pretty sure that they weren't integrated back then, and I'm pretty, I'm even more sure that there wouldn't be a black sergeant in charge, in charge of this Running yes. platoon, airborne no. platoon. No, I mean, there were, pl- there were, there were a lot of black officers, and there were a lot of black sergeants. It's not like right. that was a... But they weren't... But they weren't integrated. They weren't they integrated, weren't integrated. right. Yeah. And so, that was the only thing I thought was like... Eh. Triple nickels, baby. Five, five, five. There you go. Triple nicks. But That was the black uh, airborne regiment. Right. So, that was the only thing that was like, hmm, I don't know about that, but... Everything else was pretty cool. I, I mean, I thought it was an interesting film. It kept it kept you going, and everyone was very excited. It, the energy was high. There was constant battle. You were never bored. Uh, I would have appreciated it, though, if there were more zombies. Yeah. <laughs> Alex and I both said, you know, yeah. it needed, as the movie progressed, we wanted to see more of the zombies. I mean, because it was really about this small little regimen. Right. 
Is that the proper term? Even? No, you're saying regimen, and it's it's fucking upsetting it's, me. It's platoon. It's a regiment. First of all, a reg. No, so they were a platoon okay. in that aircraft. Okay. Right. That was a platoon, and that platoon's job was to go to this French village, right, where the Nazis had put an air traffic, essentially like an air traffic control, right. Yes like radio tower on yes. top of a church yes and they were supposed to go and blow that shit up because it was coordinating it, it would coordinate aircraft right. during the landings and of the course. biggest thing that the allies were worried about during the landings at d-day was german aircraft and german air superiority because right. the bombers could come in and just blow over and up on the beach right, so, right. It's, so this mission was actually pretty fucking important okay and when you were saying yeah. like about historical significant like historical accuracy i mean the black airborne units were highly capable and just like the tuskegee airmen were like the best of the best african-american recruits that they could find right and the real story is despite the need to have these kinds of troopers in battle the American generals consistently refused to put them into battle because of they course. did not want white soldiers being rescued of course. by black soldiers and they didn't want black soldiers carrying out extremely mission critical missions despite though, their ability to do so. Even though since the dawn of time and since slavery, we've still been rescuing white folks and God forbid all those white kids that were nannied by black women, let's be clear they wouldn't even been survival if all those nannies would have killed them white kids during that time. We would have been so much farther ahead. But I, I hear you because we're good people. <laughs> so, so this brings me to a care. question about right. historical accuracy versus representation in Hollywood, right? Okay. Because if it was to be historically accurate, no, there would be no black soldiers. Absolutely in not in that action. But what I was saying before, but we were could the movie earlier, fly if there wasn't was like, representation? All, all they needed was just a sentence, mm-hmm. like, "Oh, these are the ragtags, and that's why they're all together, and that's why they mentioned that they were in um, boot camp together." And I was like, "That doesn't sound right." But the idea that they were like a suicide force, right? So if and they, they took black soldiers and put them into like a right. that, suicide now mission, that would have made more sense to me. One that makes sense. One if it, sense. If it was all black people, right? Then. But one sentence by Bokeem Woodbine, the sergeant, right, saying you all are a suicide mission and we put you red tags together, which would make sense. All for you Kurt, useless motherfuckers right, have been given a second right, chance. Because, right, think because about it. Ford, who was yeah. Kurt Russell's right. son, who yes. got thrown into this, would all make sense. Because they said you kill they said oh he fragged his his captain right right right, right. that was a whole thing and mind you you had the the jewish guy so you got black soldiers you and had white two black soldiers two black soldiers white cast off and new york trash so york i mean trash. think about it right. they would have been the cast off right and a that would have been made sense. that made a, it more legible a point could have been made yeah. when when bokeem stood up and like gave this whole like rousing speech about as 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 bullets are coming through the hall about which was a great which, scene right, by the way which, and all of that was a great scene that whole opening scene was fantastic when they fall when they, they jump right. out they did and it they, right. they were like frantic and the whole thing with their shoots and 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 how they land and then landing in this strange place and like having to adjust their volumes and minefields and all kinds of shit like that all that was great i just needed one sentence right to just sort of explain like how yes. that how but they you know came, how they came but together. But you know what? Right, we're actually learned people. 
And right. we're overthinking this because the <laughs> yeah. general population, general the general population, population of people assumed. do not give a fuck because no, they don't they know. Don't. First of all, they don't know anything past the first 10 years of their lives. No. That's the first thing. And Trump's America don't even know this much. So yes, mm. we are we are way overthinking this. It's a right. movie. I don't know about way, but we no, are we are. We are way because Americans don't know American history. Oh, because we're repeating it over and over and over again. Right. That's the first thing. So really and truly, this mm. movie is just a movie. So yeah. let's, no, I, I let's, understand let's, that it's just I, a movie. I, and I know we want to make it we want to make it legitimate. We want to keep it in its accuracy. I get that. But when I when I watch the people that watch this movie, yeah. I literally watch them. They were just excited about these soldiers dealing with these zombies. Of course. Okay, and that's all they yeah, saw. Yeah, no, I know. It's of course, of course. No, but it, but it's an interesting point. It's an, it, Yes, you are right. This is just a zombie killing fun flick. Right. Yeah. But it is an interest. But it is a valid point. It's an interesting point in Hollywood of like how Hollywood is is trying to come to grips or grapple with representation. And when you have a film like this where it's not entirely historically accurate, right? To put three black soldiers into a white red into a white platoon like this but it's like but it's you're right it's like there is there is a there is a scenario where it that could have happened and come right. together right. and whether they gave a shit to try it and obviously they didn't they did. they're just like okay yes right there's gonna right. be a there's, look, look there's a few integrated units whatever this is just about zombie killing let's get right. into it they you also know? probably were like oh well people will just assume it's okay so and you got to remember, we live in a world where there is, there is supposedly colorblind casting, and and all this blending of cultures. Because we uh, we see we exist. see we see commercials. Whoever that says created. that shit needs to fucking take a leap off a building. But that's real. That's real. They do say because that. Because they're they're what kind of liberal fuckwad pretend douche are you being? I've literally watched a commercial. I've literally watched a commercial this week. This week, a commercial on television where you had. To a an older couple, black man, white woman, their biracial grandchildren, mm-hmm. and they went outside and played with their grandchildren, throwing the ball or whatever it was. And there was their Asian neighbor next door, Asian older woman next door. Mm-hmm. Then you've had situations where you see in in films and in Broadway, because Broadway does a lot of multicultural casting too, where you have Asians whites blacks all in one family how do you get how do you make that happen because we're trying to move so f- we're in in our political correctness of the world where we're mm. trying to get to we just mix it up so we throw people in not necessarily being but culturally la- correct but it lacks authenticity sometimes. it definitely lacks authenticity, yeah. it lacks authenticity. but it 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 just says I'm going to have everybody in here. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. put everybody in this room. You're going to have a black woman, a white man, yeah. an Asian kid, and some little biracial child. And, oh, let's throw somebody in a wheelchair in there or some blind person or some deaf person. Right. And, oh, you got everybody. Right. Now everybody's rep- – oh, and LGBT too. Sorry. Of course. Throw some LGBT in there. You got everybody in the mix. So it speaks to – You forgot to- the QAI+. plus. I can't do all of that. But my point is, my point is, everybody is represented now. Yeah. Yes. And so when you have, when you're trying to represent, and I think Do you think that's, that does a disservice, though? 
Well, it, it, because that is that is that is affirmative action inside of representation, and there's a there's a case to be made about how if it's if it's done unauthentically, that it can produce a backlash of like, well, now this is kind of like nanny state. This isn't real. Well, no, well, no, well, I have to, I have to, I have to hit the, hit the pause button because that's what white folks say about affirmative action. It right. is. The it reason, is the reason why is. we need affirmative action and still need it in, in 2018 right. is because brown people, whether you're black or brown or wherever you're from in this world, right. are still not being equally represented Facts. in this country. Absolutely. Okay? That's still a fact. It's and still and, a fact. and and let's 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 pull it back for a second. Mm. If you just talk about gender equality, women are still not getting equal pay and fairness and representation in Absolutely. this country. Mm-hmm. So if if white women are not getting equally paid or yeah. represented. Uh, everybody, black, brown, yellow, are still not being represented. Absolutely. So, so we still have a need for that. But the problem is, you're only giving lip service to it when you throw everybody in the mix, and it just doesn't make sense as, as far as the story goes. Yeah. Because as storytellers, and I know Tawana, you know, we've been we, we we've talked about films and, and creating creating content and film. Mm-hmm. Where how do you represent people honestly, authentically, mm-hmm. when you're just trying to throw everybody in? Because you don't want to be patronizing. Because right, there's a moment where you feel like, well, would this really happen, or is this just Hollywood trying to make make right? You don't want because if Hollywood's pandering, then to me that's 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 it's not as bad, but it's bad. It's bad. It's bad because you're just like because what happens is because you're not being because genuine. people on the other side of the spectrum detractors right look at that and say this is an anti state and this is the point I was trying to make is yeah. is this is an anti state you get pushback and it's like okay yes that does feel kind of nanny state yes that does feel unauthentic but is that still a wrong thing to be striving for no it's not well like, you two know things can be true at the but, same time but you know alex one, one thing i learned one thing i learned a couple of years ago when i was making one of my first student films when we did safe space right okay. when i wrote safe space i saw i always saw the characters as the lead character was a white guy. His best friend was a black guy, mm-hmm. and and they were navigating this this their relationship and, and and how this film played out. The 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 female role in this film was a biracial woman, mm-hmm. but that's how I saw this film from the very beginning of it. Because I don't I don't see a world where me as a black man can't have a white friend, yeah. where we are actual friends, and I trust you the way I would trust anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of pushback from people when I presented this script to one of my class, and then as we were starting to shoot it, and Tawana helped to shoot it. Yeah, it was a DP. Oh, but, it was one of them. Right, you were one of the two DPs on that project. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing was, I got a lot of pushback. Well, how would this white guy know this black guy? Like, how would they be friends? What do you mean? And I was like, well, I don't friends. understand how that would work. Like, I have... I have friends who are white, and I didn't understand. Oh, well, well, what do you mean? Who was asking that question? This, was this, it a white person? This came out in the discussion in the class. I got it from black people, and I got it from white people. Hmm. And because I'm a black filmmaker, everybody always assumed that I would always cast black people, right. one, as the lead. Right. So it was always that thing, well, why would you choose this person 
as your lead actor. Right. Like, but, why would you dare choose a white person as your lead actor? Right. But right. in the story, it was about his story. Right. You know, it wasn't about, it, I wasn't telling a black story. I wasn't yeah. telling a white story. It was just this particular story. And this this character was white. In my vision of when I wrote it, yeah. was about this character being white. So mm-hmm. my problem with with how Hollywood and how people pursue things, we're not just monolithic in our in our knowing of people. We know you, you're white, you're from fucking New Zealand. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I can't know you because you're from some other place and you're white. Right. Like I can't know you. Mm. Right. You know, I can't know Tawana, you know, cause she's a lesbian doing her thing and, and, and making things happen. I can't know her. <clears throat> how do you how who makes those decisions right. on how that plays? So my thing is the world is is we're we're living in a global, not only economy but in just a global cultural space, and we need to be open to more people and more cultures. Mm-hmm. I know Asian people, I know Latin people. Well, I think I I well, know New people York, from East. New There's York this, has a bigger landscape. Yes, New York of opens cultural. the world up. Yeah, cultural, well, especially I, Queens. I think like, it, it's hundred fifteen hundred dialects. Spoken. But that's my point. We're, right. we're, there's so many opportunities to know more people. Well, yes. th- but this is this is where like intersectional identity based politics works its way into Hollywood, and in some cases can go too far mm-hmm. and doesn't allow you to tell genuine stories. Right. Yes. Right. And the idea that there is that there are people on both sides who don't want you to tell a particular story because of their own agendas on, on what it is that they're interested in. Right. And it's just, if, if the, if the story, if the story is king, the, what you're trying to talk about, the emotion you're trying to communicate. And that's what is, that's what great cinema connects across generations, across <clears throat> ethnicities, yes. right? Because there's stories that people can relate to, and whether it's a, a story that is a white person as a protagonist, or it's a story as a black person as a protagonist, right. the idea is that it's genuine, and that if you only have stories with only white people, that's not that's not right because that's not the society we live in. Yeah, right? that's not. That's and not if genuine. it's a story where there's only black people, then that can work. Like Black Panther, perfect example. It can work if it's within mm-hmm. the context. But in the, the context of what the story is about. And right. so I look at people who lose their minds on both sides. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. It's a story, dude. Right. This story makes sense because it's authentic in the way it's being told. But I think it, I think it speaks to, to racism in a certain way. because White supremacists. It, that White definitely. supremacy lasts forever in America. But, but that too. But, but I think it that it, it says something to... So, is Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels, Ava DuVernay, and all these directors that are that are black directors, are they only allowed to tell stories that are about black well, culture? They're, they're, I don't like that. They're quicker to 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 greenlight their stories about black culture because there's like, okay, you're gonna tell a black story, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not always necessarily the case. And 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 even true for women. There are plenty of women directors that don't do films about women. Right. You know, they're not they're not that particular story or maybe their catalog is not just geared towards the story of women. They just want to tell stories. Cuz I know I know I have a filmmaker friend and she's a woman and she makes she likes action films. Mm-hmm. And that's not usually a genre that women 
are drawn to. Yeah. But she she loves making a genre film. And I and and, and she's always conflicted cuz when she tries to pitch it to to producers and studios right. and, and such to make the movie, they're like, "Well, you're a woman. Why why won't you make a a, a romantic comedy or something like that? Right. Like this is not really or, or a drama. Why are you trying to make an action film?" She's like, "Well, I can make any film and because people, I'm a filmmaker." Women like Patty Jenkins right, or exactly. Catherine Bigelow even Charlize Theron, mm-hmm. like they 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 break that stereotype. But but once again, I think we 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 fall into these scapegoats. That's why I, what I appreciate about Overlord mm-hmm. is the fact that you did have black people being represented in the film. He absolutely did. I and, mean, I, and I appreciated Boyce, that. Boyce was one of the heroes because so. he was definitely the hero in the he film. Was, he it, was he was the, annoying in the context because like. I hadn't. I honestly didn't even think about the historical context until you brought it up. Um, that was the first thing I thought because about when the, I saw because it. Because as I mean, I when I just thought about the story itself, right? Like it worked in the context of the story, right? Like it was kind of it was a license that was obviously took, right? But I didn't feel for a second like, oh, here we go. Someone had to meet some kind of a, a diversity quota. Like right. that's not what I thought when I saw it. I was no, like, oh, I this didn't works. feel that way. This I works. just was like, because I went to see it with my girlfriend. I was like, is that right? I don't think we were like integrated that much within World War Two. But and then she was like, but you know, eliminate that. Just watch the movie because it's pretty good. Exactly. And, and then and then I just you know I tried to suspend my belief. And I'm one of, and I'm one of those people. I just watch a movie to watch a movie. And I think that I was just one glad to see him there and glad to see him survive through to the end of the movie. Right, I agree. You know. But well, I think that if you were very interested in it, then you should check out this uh, film. And it was lots of fun. Yeah, it was, and it was. It's a mix of. You know, horror and drama and, and horror. Check so you, it you out. You got all of that. I mean, also run to the theaters because it's probably almost out. Yeah. <laughs> it is very difficult film times. Yeah, but yeah, yeah because happen. it's been out for a little bit. So check it out. So anyway, thanks for joining us, film fans. Absolutely. If you like this episode, please be sure to like, share, and follow us on all our social media platforms. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud. And make sure you use the hashtag BBM Podcast. That is BBM Podcast. And join us next time for episode 36 when we're going to review The Mule. Boom. And Natalie Portman in Fox Looks. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. This is Beer Bourbon. And a movie. movie.